Hey, I'm celebrating along with you that 10K challenge that that hour goal was met. How fun. We're going to talk a little bit more about that at the end of the service. So after the message, there are a couple of songs and then we're going to talk about that. So I know you want to get to lunch. I know you want to go to Chili's or whatever, but stick around and we're going to, we're going to hang out a little bit and we're going to talk about like what comes next right now. Now I have a, a story to share with you. It's kind of a sad story actually. It started February 7th, 2010, and it's about the Super Bowl between the Indianapolis Colts and the New Orleans Saints. Now I'm a big Colts fan and having your team in the Super Bowl is a really fun thing in my opinion. I mean all the press conferences and all the commercials kind of about your team. That's pretty fun. And this was the Peyton Manning era of the Colts. They had already won a Super Bowl and it was really fun to be a Colts fan because they went like 13 and 0 every season and they went to the playoffs all the time. That'd be nice, right? What terrible problems to have. Now, most of you who are Colts fans already know kind of the end of this story, but because I've already brought it up, I'll just tell you in case you don't know, the Colts were winning the Super Bowl at halftime. It was 10-6. And for those of you who don't care about the Colts, the who is who uh, did the halftime show, in case you were wondering. And to start the third quarter, the Saints caught the Colts by surprise, and they did an onside kick, and the Saints got the ball, and they marched down the field, and they scored a touchdown. And that's kind of where, in my mind, like the game ended. It's not. Actually, they went back and forth a little bit, but the Colts ended up losing the biggest game of the year. You have millions of people watching on TV, including me, the score, Colts 17, Saints 31. And can I tell you, I was devastated like way more than I should have been over a football game, you know, type of devastated. Annoyingly so. I mean, I avoided everything, everyone, every possible mention of the Colts. I mean, I didn't listen to the radio. That was still a thing in 2010, the radio. If you don't know what that is, ask your parents. It's okay. I didn't get online. I didn't watch TV. I completely avoided everything I could because I was so upset. My favorite football team lost kind of the big game. And I realize now that's not the healthiest reaction maybe to that, but I honestly didn't know how to kind of process it. All this hype, all this hope, you know, kind of dashed and disappointed in a moment. Now is how I responded to that an overreaction? You might say, yes, it probably was. It's a silly example about a silly thing, but as silly as that is, I was really upset. And as time passes, I'm learning that just because it's a silly thing doesn't mean we know how to process it. And sometimes even a incredibly serious reason to be upset, we don't know how to process that either. Can you relate? See, truth is we don't know how to navigate being really disappointed or we don't know how to navigate being really sad or we don't know how to navigate pain or grief or injustice. So think about it. Just for a second, what's the worst thing that's ever happened to your life? I promise this message is going to get a little happier, by the way. Like, I mean, welcome to the Ridge where we start talking about like the worst memory as a Colts fan. And then also I ask you the worst thing that's ever happened in your life in the first five minutes. What is it though? I bet something came to mind. You know, a pain, you know, that grief, that struggle, that hurt. Was, was it something that you could do something about? 
Was it something you can't do anything about? Was it something in your past, something that was done to you? Or something that you've done you can't take back? Maybe it's a relationship that's broken and gone and disintegrated and in the dust and there's nothing that you're going to be able to do about it. Maybe it's something about yourself that you don't like. You know, it's a mental health thing or you know, just the way you view yourself. Or maybe it's a loss that you've had. Maybe it's a financial loss or a job loss or a, a person loss in your life and you feel that pain and you feel that hurt and you feel that grief and you just don't know how to process it. You don't know what to do with it. And sometimes we do our best, but a lot of times we're told to either deal with it and move on or we stay kind of in that sadness and we don't know how to kind of interact with it. So how did you respond to the worst thing that happened in your life? Because here's my guess. It was difficult to navigate. And maybe you did what I did, you know, with the Colts, and you just kind of stuff it down in there. Have you ever done that? Have you ever met anybody like that? Like you just stuff it, and then it comes out like in a burst at another time, like when you least expect it. Or you're like, why is that dude like crying in the grocery aisle? Like he takes, he takes his produce very seriously. Like... I think this happens all the time, right? Like we, we can stuff it down. Maybe it's not even the worst thing, but a negative thing. We don't know how to deal with it, so we just ignore it. Or maybe we numb it. You know, there are a lot of examples of those types of things, right? Like a, a, a drink that you might drink, a food that you might go to, a substance that you might interact with. Maybe it's even like another person that you go to and it's, it's not healthy and you know it, but you, you want to feel happy for just a second. You want to get away from that crappy feeling for just a moment. Or maybe you do your best and you try to address it head on or you read books or you read blogs or whatever, but still you come up to this moment and the pain is still there. Yesterday I uh, attended a funeral, a celebration of life. And you know, what struck me is at the end of the funeral, it doesn't just go away. Like it doesn't just stop. The sadness doesn't just, you know, go away. The grief is still knocking at the door. And this can apply to all sorts of situations in our life, personal ones, but it can also apply to other things. What do you do, for example, when you hear about a national tragedy? You know, another talking head on the news telling about another situation that is terrible that's happened across the globe or across the country or across the street. Sometimes we're numb to it. Sometimes we don't pay attention to it. Sometimes we ignore it. Sometimes it makes us sad. Sometimes it makes us angry and we start yelling at people or we start posting on social media in ways that we we should. We just don't know how to navigate it. And no matter how we respond, it's not hard, I don't think, to convince you that the struggle in our lives is alive and well. And culture tells us either we should be okay all the time or we should be in the sadness and stay there as long as we want and we don't know what to do with kind of that pendulum. And should we get better quick? Should we move on? A day has passed. The sun will come out tomorrow. There's no room for sadness. Now we're starting a two-week series today and we're calling it The Struggle is Real. And boy, is it. And we're going to talk about what it looks like to navigate some of these difficult things when we don't know where to turn or we don't know what to do. So to figure this out a little bit, we're going to turn to a book in the Bible called Lamentations. Now, Lamentations is in the first half of the Bible, the Old Testament. And it's only five chapters long. And the book consists of five poems or five songs of lament that are written by an anonymous author, though it's really likely it was one of the prophets in the Old Testament, Jeremiah. 
And Jeremiah has a whole book of the Bible dedicated to him and his story. And the book of Lamentations is really Jeremiah looking back on a really, really bad situation that he survived. It was the siege and takeover of the city of Israel, of the city of Jerusalem and the people of Israel and the exile of those people from their home. That's described in 2 Kings 24 through 25 in the Old Testament. Now here's the context. Here's what you need to know. The city of Jerusalem was kind of the central point for all of the people of Israel and their faith. That's where everything kind of revolved around. And the temple of God was there, and it was where they worshipped God. It's where the royal line of the kings was located. And in the summer of 587 B.C., it's in other literature outside of the Bible, 587 B.C., that summer, the city fell to the kingdom of Babylon. And when it fell, it means it got destroyed. I mean, the temple was leveled. The women and children were raped and killed. And it's, it's, it's just unimaginable, the terrible things that happened. The men were either slaughtered or enslaved. This is not a pretty picture. That's where we pick up this story. This is definitely something that is upsetting. And the book of Lamentations is kind of like a memorial, a book of songs about that situation. It's dedicated to the hurt, to the suffering, to the sadness, to the confusion that followed the destruction of Jerusalem. Now there's a word that I think is really important for us to understand if we're going to understand the book of Lamentations. And that word is the word lament. What in the world is lament? It's not the type of flooring that you put in your house. That's laminate. It's not the, you know, the piece of paper and you put two pieces of plastic on the outside of it. That's laminating. It's neither one of those things. A lament is a sad funeral song that cries out to God. So the book of the Bible contains these five songs, these laments. And they're crying out to God about this terrible situation. Here's a taste, just a couple verses of one of them. This is Lamentations 3, starting in verse 19, kind of right in the middle of this song. The thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. I mean, that, that second sentence, verse 20, it, I mean, it gets me. That's powerful, isn't it? Have you ever felt like this? I will never forget when I lost the relationship. I will never forget how I feel in this moment right now. I will never forget when I found out they passed away. I will never forget. And I will grieve over my loss. See, you're not alone when you feel that way. Jeremiah felt the same way. And he says the same things. I will never forget this awful time. Now, this past Easter, we had this opportunity here at the Ridge to lay down some burdens. See, I believe that God is still in the business of rolling away the stone just like he did from the tomb that first Easter. And people came forward, maybe you did too, and they had this opportunity to put a stone with a written word or a symbol on the stone, and they laid it right here on this stage. And that represented that they believed that God will either give them a way out of that burden or guide their way through. And I have to tell you, I read every single rock more than once. I couldn't get them out of my head. I mean, I was just 
it was like a magnet drawing me in here every day. There were over 1,100 rocks that were placed on this stage. And the burdens, I have to tell you, I mean, they were these tiny little rocks, but you could feel the burden of someone's life, of someone's hurt, of someone's pain. Over 104 people said anxiety, which is something I'm well acquainted with. 44 people said depression. 59 said fear. 50 people said anger. That's just scratching the surface. These are real people with real hurt. I mean, one person literally said homelessness, like Jeremiah is talking about. It is bitter, isn't it? So what do we do? What do we do with this pain? What do we do with this hurt? So we lay it down at the feet of Jesus. And if you were part of that, you've you've done that. But it still can weigh us down, right? We don't know how to navigate it. Which is why I think it's so important that we learn how to lament. To sing that sad funeral song. So we're going to talk through three reasons and three ways that we can lament. So here's the first one. See, lament is a way to process our pain. See, somebody needs to hear this today. It really is okay not to be okay. Did you know that? It is okay not to be okay. It's okay to communicate that you're not okay. See, sometimes we feel like we have to hide it or we have to stuff it down. Like no one can know the hurt that we're carrying or we feel so alone and we don't know how to communicate it. We don't know how to have somebody else help us or you're walking you know, down the street or in the store and somebody says, how you doing? And you're like, you, I can't even start to tell you. I can't even start to explain to you where I'm at or how I'm doing because I am in the middle of it. And it's important to remember, hey, look, God knows if you're not okay. And it's okay to process the pain and the hurt that you feel. So what does that look like? How can you go about doing that? Well, here's, I think, an amazing way that you can lament. It's, it's speaking pain out loud. Sometimes we need to say it or yell it or write it down. See, speaking pain out loud can start with speaking the pain to God. I think that's a great place to start with your lament. And that's really what the book of Lamentations is. Jeremiah is crying out to God in the middle of this pain because God is big enough to handle the frustration. God knows your pain and is big big enough to handle it. There's so much hope in that. He knows how you feel. He knows what's going on. He knows what's caused it. And speaking pain out loud can be incredibly helpful. And we can also speak pain out loud to close friends or trusted family. I mean, God creates community so that we can do that because we're not alone. And going through pain alone is not really God's design, but it feels so isolating, doesn't it? Grief can feel so lonely, but processing with other people can be helpful. It can help them as they navigate life. It can help you as you navigate life and build community. But there are these both sides of the pendulum, right? There's the, I'm always okay, or I'm never okay. So I feel like we need to address something before we move on. There's a difference between processing sadness, which is lament, and being ruled by sadness. Processing sadness, speaking pain out loud, 
It's healthy. Lament is healthy. It's holy. It's God-honoring. And that's what we're talking about today. Something you feel intensely and it's okay to not be okay and you're doing your best to process it in a healthy way. But being ruled by sadness, that it's the only focus in your life for an extended period of time and you're not turning to God, you're not seeking help from other people, that is not healthy. It's harmful being ruled by sadness so much you're screaming at other people or you're, you're numbing it with, with things, that's not processing sadness in a healthy way. And saying I'm sad is an okay thing to do. Saying I'm sad as an excuse not to do things over an extended period of time is not as healthy either. And that doesn't mean sadness goes away, by the way. See, it's not that sadness goes away. It's how we choose to deal with our sadness. One includes God and one doesn't. Do you see? So if you're stuck in the sadness, I think a way that you can speak that out loud, you can speak that out loud with God, with trusted friends and family, or if you're really stuck and you don't know what to do, reach out to a pastor here at the Ridge. We can connect you with a counselor or we can just listen and lament with you. But speaking and processing that pain is really what lament is and what we're talking about. And if the pain starts to rule you, you have to find an outlet to process that pain. So lament is a way to process. What else? How else can we interact with lament? Here's the second thing. Lament is also a way to protest injustice. Now, when I'm talking about injustice, I'm not talking about little kid injustice, right? There's a type of injustice that happens in my house, and it sounds like this. You ate the last cookie, and now they're, you're like dead to me. Like that's kind of injustice that I deal with a lot. And usually I'm the one who ate the last cookie. Ha, <laughs> joke's on them. But that's not the type of injustice we're talking about. We're not talking about the injustice of like, you know, the, the, the Colts losing you know, a game or, you know, referees, you know, blowing a call or anything like that. That's not what we're talking about. This is what we're talking about. See, crying out to God acknowledges that things aren't as they should be. That's what protesting injustice is. Saying to God, God, this isn't as it should be. And if we're honest, we look around, we know that that's the case. There are things in this world that aren't as they should be. There are things in our families that aren't as they should be. Are there things in your life you wish were different They're like, I don't understand why it's built this way or why this continues to happen. I mean, are there things in your country you wish were different or your world? See, racially, we still can't figure out how to get along. Politically, we still can't figure out how to get along. Even in church, we can't figure out how to get along. That's injustice. We still experience needless acts of violence. We still experience abuse and neglect of children and elderly. We still experience churches talking more about what they hate than what Jesus loves. All of that is injustice. And when this happens, when we experience it, when we're an eyewitness to injustice, we can cry out in protest to God. See, lament acknowledges what's happening around us. It acknowledges that something isn't right. Something horrific has happened. And that's the first step toward healing. And that's the first step toward hope. Crying out to God and protesting the injustice. Now, over the past you know, couple months, maybe a year, Have you seen when something happens, people will say like, hey, I'm praying or my thoughts and prayers go out to that family. And then people are being accused of that being a trite response. Have you seen that? 
Here's what I would say to you. If you say thoughts and prayers in any way, actually pray. And that's what makes it not a trite response. See, we see something happens and we say thoughts and prayers sometimes so we can move on, so we don't have to deal with it. Or we get really angry and we post a thing so we can move on and we don't have to deal with it. But lament is this deep crying out in sadness to God. And it is thoughts and prayers. And it's not just lip service. Lament helps us protest before the most powerful being in the universe. That's really what lament is. It's processing that pain and protesting that things are not as they should be. And here's the third thing that lament is. It all kind of leads to this. See, lament is also a way to ponder the ways of God because God knows about our pain. What's the worst thing that's ever happened in your life? God already knows. And he's already working. And he already loves you. He already knows the injustice. And it's okay to cry out to him. It's okay to ask him why. It's okay to be hurt. And when we do so, we also think about God and think about who he is and what he's really about. So check out verse 19 and 20 again. Check this out. The thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. This is heavy stuff. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. God knows about our pain. And we're saying, God, where are you? God, what are you doing? God, are you listening? But then the tone turns and Jeremiah remembers who God is. He remembers what God is all about right in the middle of the sadness. He dares to step out of it. And even for a moment, verse 20 turns into verse 21. And this is what it says. Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. I was at Hobby Lobby the other day and I saw... Verse 23, great is his faithfulness, his mercies begin afresh each morning, like on a little card. I'm like, funny that they didn't include verse 19 and 20, huh? See, how much more powerful is his mercy in the context of pain? Sadness is real. Injustice is real. Grief is real. The worst thing that has ever happened to you is real and it hurts and I'm sorry and we lament and we cry out to God and we process and we protest. But God is faithful and his faithfulness is real too. And not in a have it one day and gone the next type of day. No, every single day, every single morning, every single sunrise, his faithfulness shows up. His mercy is new. That's kind of the big idea in the midst of lament. We can remember that God's faithfulness gives hope. Has God ever shown up in your life, even in a small way? Sometimes the reminders of God's faithfulness don't come into focus until we start to lament. It's like processing grief and getting a text message to remind someone you're being thought of. Or it's like being in the process of grief and meeting somebody else who's gone through a very similar thing. 
Or it's like going to church and being reminded that you're not alone, even if you feel alone, because you're not alone. Because God is with you and we want to be with you too. It's like waking up in the morning to a beautiful sunrise that we had nothing to do with. Each day, God is working. Each day, God loves us. Each day, God gives us breath and strength and reminds us of who he is. And he is our hope. So as we kind of wrap up our time together, there are two questions that kind of help us respond, help us think about what it looks like to lament this week. So the first question is, what do you need to lament? Is there a pain you need to process? Cry out to God. Is there an injustice that you've seen? Cry out to God. Is there something that you just don't understand about your life, about what God is doing? If you feel forgotten, are you struggling with the hope part? Cry out to God. He will show up. What do you need to lament? I encourage you this week, sing the sad funeral song. He's big enough to handle it. And the promise is he will show up in the middle of it. But here's the second question. In the middle of the lament, how can you dare to hope? Because right there, smack dab in the middle of the hurt, God provides. He shows up. His mercy is afresh every morning. His hope is real. Are you living like that's true? See, Jeremiah says he dares to hope even in the face of all these terrible circumstances because he believes God is good. What does it look like for you to dare to hope even in the worst possible thing in your life? Because we have an opportunity to do both. And that's really what lament is. It's the ability to cry out to God and to praise his name, to call out to him, and to know that he's there, to surrender the battle, and to know the battle's already won. Because even as we lament, God's faithfulness gives hope. And I was thinking about, okay, what is the best example of that? And the best example of God's hope showing up is Jesus and the cross. See, we have hope, Even in the midst of circumstances we don't fully understand, even in darkness, we have hope because of Jesus. And Jesus loves us. Jesus died on the cross for us, for where we fall short, rose again on the third day. The the stone was rolled away. And Jesus is all about hope, hope in our past, hope in our present, and hope for the future. And a way that we can kind of lament and celebrate at the same time together is something called communion. So if you're here in person, there's a communion cup there in the seat back in front of you or on the floor. If you're online, I encourage you to go get kind of some juice and some bread right now. So when we take communion, we get to do both of these things. We get to cry out to God and lament. We get to say, God, why is the world the way that it is? Why is my life the way that it is? And we also get to celebrate the hope because of Jesus. So communion is something that we get to do to follow Jesus, to remember really what Jesus did on the cross, to reflect on our heart and the celebration that that brings, and to respond to what he did. And we can respond by taking communion. So the bread, when we take communion, represents Jesus' body broken on the cross. And the juice represents his blood shed on the cross. It's a way to remember 
that even when all seems lost, God's faithfulness gives us hope. He did it at the cross and he does it in our lives every day. So we have this opportunity to to do that together. So go ahead and grab that bread or cracker. I love that it's this perfect circle when it's here in person. It reminds me of that stone being rolled away. That God is big enough and strong enough. And his body, Jesus' body was broken for us. And as we take this right now, we can remember what he did and reflect on why he did it and respond to God and thank him. So let's take that bread together. And even in the midst of suffering, this juice, it represents his blood, but it also represents this hope that we can have. So let's take that together and remember and reflect and respond. I'd like to pray for us. Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful that even in the worst of the worst in our lives, in the sadness, in the hurt, in the pain, that you give us an opportunity to process that with you, that we are able to cry out to you. We're able to say to you to sing this sad funeral song and go, why? And God, where are you? And in the middle of that song, we can sing another song, which is a song of praise to you and celebration to you, that both of those things can be true at the exact same time, that lament can feel so heavy and the burden can weigh us down, but we can also dare to hope because of who you are and because of what you've done on the cross through Jesus. And I thank you for that reminder today. Help us lament and help us hope in a way that brings you honor and brings you glory and reminds us of who you are as we ponder the ways of God. It's in Jesus' name we pray today. Amen.